You're listening to the Buildify Method Podcast, where we're all about mindset, systems, and profit. As a nationally recognized business consultant, coach, and speaker, your host, Aaron Keith, is passionate about supporting the entrepreneur community by sharing his knowledge gained from coaching over 10,000 entrepreneurs in nearly 20 years, at companies ranging from billion-dollar enterprises and celebrities all the way to Main Street and small startups. Each Buildisode's blunt, no-bullshit conversation is led by Aaron along with his co-host, Ryan Coyne, a veteran tech consultant and nationally recognized speaker. Each week, Aaron and Ryan deconstruct mental and physical aspects of the topics that challenge all successful entrepreneurs, while also providing coaching, insight, and specific advice on distinctions that affect all growth-minded entrepreneurs. So listen up. It's time to work on your business, not just in your business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of the Buildify Method podcast. Join with my co-host, Ryan Coyne. Thank you, Aaron. Welcome to the first in our series called Titans of Industry. We are joined by our first titan of industry, Julia Spillman, the CEO of the Eklund Gomes team at Douglas Elliman, the largest real estate team in the country. Julia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. I am so excited, everybody. You know, today's conversation is going to be how to have hard conversations as a CEO. And I'm very honored to have Julia with us today. Julia is a friend. She's a colleague. She's a client. And obviously, you know, Ryan Coyne, one of my best friends and colleagues. So today is going to be a very, very juicy conversation where we're intending to kind of pull back the veil and really speak openly and honestly and truthfully about the stuff that generally isn't talked about about being a CEO. Oftentimes CEOs are glorified and it's this beautiful, amazing job and you know, you're up on this pedestal. But I don't think people really talk about the grit and the, the challenging things that we have to experience not only mentally and emotionally, but also physically. Yeah, that couldn't be more true. And that's why I want to go into the fact that everybody talks about being a CEO, like it's this glorious status symbol or a position that's coveted in the world, you know, a, 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 an ultimate job role to achieve. And But let's talk about the real life of a CEO, the harder things about being a CEO. And Julia, can you tell us for you, what are some of the hardest things about being a CEO? Well, you know, as I always joke, you know, when they give you this glorious title, which obviously, you know... I'm something so incredibly proud to obviously not only lead this team, but have such impeccable partners like John Gomes and Frederick Eklund to do this with. But they really should have gave me a note that said, good luck and Godspeed. Um, Because if you (laughs) look up the definition, it's executive with chief decision-making authority in a business. Now, quite frankly, who doesn't want that? But- They don't really expand on something that Aaron and I love to talk a lot about and is, you know, critical for all of my employees is job descriptions and checklists. How could you ever possibly write a job description or be able to fabricate a checklist of what actually happens in this role? So true. So true. This is such a, such a challenging job, right? I mean, the the mental stress, the emotional stress, and then the, the physicality of it. No one, no one can tell you the amount of hours that you're going to work and how often your brain's on, right? Just because you're not physically at work, you're thinking about it all the time, especially when you're in startup mode or growth mode, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, Julia, you and I have talked about this, Ryan, you've talked about this with me right now. We're, we're kind of in, 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 in war mode right now, right? This, this is wartime. And with everything going on in the world, when your brain kicks in a wartime as a CEO, the the critical thinking, you know, the the running scenarios, whether it's you know you're you're driving to work or taking a shower, your brain's running scenarios. Okay, well if this happens, then who would I have to let go? And do I need to hire this? Well, you know, how am I going to lower costs over this? Your brain is churning on so many different axes that it'll make your your head spin around. And I don't think younger CEOs or CEOs who haven't been through wartime before have, have been through those paces. And I think this is a huge learning opportunity that I think people need to be told ahead of time what it's like so that they are prepared to go through this time period. Well, and I always say like you take out, you know, the fact that we're going through a pandemic and how it's affecting, you know, every piece, you know, 
obviously I think a lot about, you know, my employees and my agents and just their emotional well-being, much less the fact that, you know, we've came, you know, my my first full year, we broke a billion. We were the first team to ever break a billion. Then last year we broke two billion. And this year, pandemic. And I think <laughs> that's what's really difficult is you know, again, this kind of shift into a wartime, because I now have to, even more so than normal, protect, protect my troops. Right. So true. It's, it's a big thing. So Ryan, I'm curious, you know, being a CEO, everyone on this call, right? Every, everyone who's, who's listening, we're entrepreneurs, we're CEOs, and, and there's sacrifices. There's, there's things that we have to navigate as a CEO. And I, I don't think that's talked about enough. And, you know, uh, Julia, you're married. Ryan, you know, you have kids. So Ryan, hit us from what are some of the sacrifices and the hard things about being a CEO, especially when you have a family? Well, the sacrifices, my goodness. Um, how about how about feeling guilty as well as feeling accomplished 24 hours a day? Um, sacrificing your sacrificing part of your happiness. I this is speaking from experience. If 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 my happiness meter what was able to be full, that would be great. But there's this little governor at the top of it that keeps it from getting to a hundred because some of that comes at the expense of, you know, that, that guilt feeling mm -hmm. that I could have given to my family, how many days I worked past five or six or, you know, how many, how many days I was cranky from no sleep the night before from making something happen. And it's, it's all building something, right? That's what it's supposed to be for. But unless you run your business the right way, you're always going to be working that hard. You know, we, I, I told myself that lie in my twenties that I have to work insanely hard out of my mind. And I, I literally do not remember my son being three or four years old. That's how bad I was those two years. And the mistake I was making was not putting the right structure around myself to have it be a sane process. So yeah. I, I almost wonder if some people want to do that to themselves and not me, but that was the sacrifice was, was part of my, part of my fulfillment for sure. But the benefit was I learned how not to run a business and I can help other people avoid doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I can help the people who I hire to work for me and the people who work around me now that I work with other people a lot more frequently avoid doing it to themselves, even when not a CEO, but in a role that is a high stakes position with a tremendous amount of responsibility. Absolutely. And then, you know, Julia, you know, you're, you're married, you know, your team is, you have, you know, 70 plus people on your team spread all across our country. Yeah. I've witnessed you on planes all over the place, flying here, flying there, having to get ready for things, living out of suitcases, you know, and your husband's back in New York. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, you know, I, I think we're all learning a lot each day. And I think, you know, for me, we went through the startup mode, um, you know, as, as a new CEO, we went through startup mode, then we went through this huge growth period. And then we finally kind of got into what, you know, I was joking is the success and stability part. And then obviously, yeah. you know, now, now the pandemic. But I think with all of it, it, it's really learning balance. And I don't think until everything is getting ready to fall off of your plate, are you really able to learn how to balance something? Um, so this has been just like such an amazing ride of like lessons about business, about entrepreneurship, but quite frankly, lessons about you as a person. And, you know, my husband always says something which you know, used to annoy me, but I think is, is so true. And a lot of times it's really taking a good hard look in the mirror. And I think that because when you're at the top, it's actually harder for us to ask for help because a lot of times it's seen as weakness. It's, show, it's showing that maybe we can't lead efficiently mm -hmm. or some type of issue. And I think that that was really hard for me was to try to conceal everything that, you know, in a way I was struggling with, but couldn't show that I had to portray this like perfect picture of perfection in every little rhyme or reason. And really because also too, I was a young CEO. Um, right. And I think that that opens it up to another thing of like living this true life under a magnifying glass. And it's hard. And it's hard when you have a lot of your employees and agents at a similar age 
that should be and are encouraged to be really out there on social media and to be, you know, as we like to joke, just so extra. But Mm -hmm. then when it comes to me, the tone set at the top. So I have to walk the talk as a CEO and I can't always act my age. I can't always dress my age. And I think that there's a lot of adjustments during all of these different phases that quite frankly, I think a lot of people suffer in silence of the fear of asking for help or quite frankly, admitting that they need to have help is a sign of weakness when it really isn't. That is beautifully said. I, I could not agree more. You know, you've heard me as well as, as Ryan, you know, we've talked to so many CEOs and entrepreneurs on panels, you know, through coaching calls and conferences. And I would agree that one of the, the hardest things about being a CEO is them understanding the, the difference in position and the integrity that comes with it and having to walk that line of integrity. You know, you, you can't do those, you know, shirtless selfies with, with a with a beer in your hand anymore, like you wanted to in your twenties as a CEO, you give up those rights. I'm not supposed to still do those. I know. I know. And funny, like you actually, Ryan, you know, back in the day when Ryan and I first met at a, at a, at a mutual client in uh, Long Island, New York, you know, we had a conversation not too far after where we're like, Hey, I don't think you can do that anymore, bud. And he's like, you know what? You're right. There's this certain pivotal times in life where, you know, I remember my business coach, you know, he took out all the body piercings, cut the hair, you know, and just, we had some tough conversations about walking your talk. And I don't think there's enough CEOs that have mentors, um, whether it's a business coach or consultant or, or just a, a mentor or someone that they meet with on a regular basis, who's giving them that honest feedback, giving them that, that view of the future and how, what they're doing now and how they're portraying themselves as a leader as a CEO now is going to impact their future and what that's going to look like. So I agree with you, Julie. I think that is one of the biggest things that CEOs can start to do to prepare themselves for their growth and development. That's like an advisory board almost, you know, earlier in life before you actually have one at the corporate level, you know? We actually, we have that in place. Um, You know, Aaron really helped us set that up because again, it's hard to make all of the decisions and quite frankly, to make the right decisions. And, you know, you need to understand what everybody needs. And ultimately it is your responsibility to delegate and to communicate like what that direction is. But I don't think there's anything wrong. I actually think it's more responsible to have some nice nudges in the direction that everybody wants to go as a group. Um, You know, I think buy-in is in incredibly important. So if your team feels like their opinion matters, then they're more likely to go forward with the decisions that are ultimately made. Yeah, I think I key into that. And I also want to add to that what what I the the thing that comes to mind is about how there's this dual narrative kind of, right? So you have the people that you talk to with no filter, right? And then the fact that you are the CEO of some of the most talented salespeople in the world uh, is not a coincidence that part of the CEO's role is to continually get that buy-in, like you said, to sell your team on the direction, uh, what needs to be going on next, You know, all the different efforts about the business, and even following new procedures and processes, which is what segues us into my next question for you both, which is what are some of the key systems that you both feel support CEOs in running a successful company? Julia, please start for us. Oh, gosh. I mean, I think, you know, and Aaron kind of touched on this, um, but I think that, you know, it's so critical to have, you know, honest mentors, um, coaches. You know, and I always say, like, you need a real loaded bench behind you. Um, And, you know, I think that was one of the first things I struggled with is I did feel very alone. And, you know, I've I've had from, you know, early in my career, one of the most amazing mentors, and we joke now, I mean, he's one of my best friends in the world. And he always jokes, he calls it a mentor moment when he kind of pulls me aside. And it's, you know, it's something as little as, hey, I wouldn't do that hashtag to, you know, really prepping me for, you know, some of the biggest decision making in our business. And I think it's important to never feel like, okay, yes, you're ultimately at the top of the food chain or the org chart, but 
you know, you need a real backbone and you need a real bench of loaded professionals. Obviously, Aaron Keith is a critical piece of our business and our business planning. You know, I have more lawyers that I talk to day <laughs> out on, um, you know, an amazing, amazing chairman, Howard Lorberg, who obviously I bounce stuff off of. But if you don't have that bench loaded with the best professionals, you know, we can't know everything. And it's like, yes, I can protect this team from this. And I can obviously hit amazing, amazing lofty goals. But like, we need, you know, the best legal teams, we need the best coaches, we need the best marketing partners. And nobody should be alone, or, you know, be naive enough to think that they can do it alone. Right. And I think too, you know, to Julia's point, when when you have that that team around you, whether it's legal, whether it's your finance team, your bookkeeper, your CPA, whether it's your your business coach or consultant, no matter who it is, their tutelage is going to impact how you view systems, structures, and processes in your business. And you know, Ryan and I, you know, we did a build a soda around this. You know, Julia, you and I have talked about this a lot. I think culture is also one of those kind of absolutely interesting systems. Because I don't think a lot of entrepreneurs think of it as a system. They think of it as this, you know, X factor that just kind of occurred in their really cool business. But it's it is it is a business system. And in, in um, the company that I'm selling right now, we built our culture document, and we have all of our staff sign it when they sign their employment agreement. You know, it's up on the wall. It's something that's built into our meeting agenda. So we're always talking about culture. So I think that in conjunction with having this really awesome bench or team around you, I'd say one of the other systems to layer onto that next is like create your culture, like consciously create your culture and then put structure around it so it exists and it can then build from there. Right. Because, you know, that that X factor that you described, the kind of culture that just kind of happens organically that some people just assume is what takes place. That's something that you can lose control of. Mm-hmm. If it's not structured, that's Absolutely. how a culture becomes like the away luggage company mm-hmm. versus something, you know, my favorite uh, example of like a one sentence culture statement is actually FedEx and the genius that was Fred Smith with the purple promise, which is I'll make every FedEx experience outstanding. That's it. That's this, you know, very simple, but that was revolutionary back when he yeah. first introduced it, you know, yeah. 40, 50 years ago, whatever it was, 60 years. So I, I thank you for that. Um, Julia, there's there's definitely some more that we want to talk about when it comes to you know clarity of communication. Would, can you talk about that as a system with such a large team? I feel like that plays in really well with you. Well, I think you know we we really have like a full rollout, and you know Frederick and John used to always say you know the Eklund Gomes machine, and then we really created that, and we created it through you know clarity and communication and that every single thing starting from the contract to the writers to the job description obviously minus mine because we still haven't figured that one out to the checklist <laughs> to you know as we call it like the report card from each side um you know there is a real system in place and funny enough talking about the culture in the system our first meeting on the day you start is John Gomes's intro to Eklund Gomes. And the first document that you're presented with is the 10 commandments of Eklund Gomes. So that's our culture document. And we feel like it's critical to set the tone, again, tone at the top. So yep. setting that tone and like showing them like, these are the things that are the 10 most important things to us. And the one that I love the most um, there's actually two. One of them is be yourself because everyone else is taken. Um, and I'm going to give that quote to to Frederick Eklund in his first book. But it's so true because one of the things that we really struggle with. So when you have the cream of the cream, the top of the top, the best salespeople in the world working for you, how do you make sure? Because at the top are the two biggest stars in the industry. Mm-hmm. And you're layering stars. And the way that we had a lot of resistance from bringing on other top producers, because they were like, well, you know, quite frankly, 
I want to be the star and there's already a star. And I said, we need to stop thinking about this as like, who's the star and think of it as a constellation. All of us are stars and the brighter that each of us are as stars, the brighter our constellation is going to be. So we completely changed the mindset of that. And so it was critical that each of our agents really are their best self. You know, and I love, we have so many different and unique personalities and we really, really honor them for being different. And I think that that's what collectively makes us such a strong group. Um, You know, and another, obviously, you know, we're very big on no drama, Um, but obviously, you know, we have a reality (laughs) show, we have a lot of personality. So I say, you know, my joke was always, we are all about theatrics just no drama. Right. You know, I think it's too, you know, when I, when I look at you, Julia, and and the time that we spent together personally and professionally, Ryan, same personally and professionally, both of you are in my eyes are some of the, the top communicators that I know. And I think for all of you entrepreneurs and CEOs listening to this, what you want to take away from what, what, what we have had to deal with as CEOs and training and working with other CEOs is the willingness to have straight, honest, no bullshit conversations. Julia has had to have really challenging conversations over millions and millions of dollars on a regular basis. Ryan, you've had to have some very challenging conversations with pissed off customers, negotiating deals, dealing with celebrities, and you know, obviously, I, I train CEOs for a living, so it's my uh, my, my daily uh, practice. And I think when CEOs can understand that at their core, that it's never going to be easy, it's never going to be comfortable. There's never a good time to have a hard conversation. Well, I guess there is. The best time to have a hard conversation is now. Don't let it wait. That makes it worse. Mm-hmm. But I think that's something that I want. I really want to speak to as CEOs and entrepreneurs making sure that you're not letting these conversations go unhad. It festers and it just gets worse. You're going to have to have the conversation anyway. So starting to learn about how to have tough conversations. Yeah. I mean, it really helps you set expectations as fast as possible, right? Like the number one cause for me throughout all of my many careers that I've felt like I'm living it has been mismatched expectations undermines progress in a relationship, in a project, anything. Absolutely. So with that point, let's kind of move into conversation. So I want to talk more and kind of deep dive into having tough conversations. So Julia, what advice would you give CEOs on having powerful conversations, even though they're tough? Well, I think the first thing is, is again, having them, you know, and having them immediately. But I think that a lot, a lot of people assume that there's always going to be again, the drama or someone's going to be upset about this and that. And I think it's really, you know, the biggest thing that I wanted to to do in the business was change the mindset of being proactive rather than being reactive. And I right. think that in all businesses, that's a problem, but really in real estate. So we were constantly putting out fires. We're constantly reacting, but how do we become proactive? And for us, it was, extremely clear agreements. And if it wasn't mm. clear enough, there was a rider. Having boundaries, um, you know, gray areas just is not something that anyone likes. And what I think gray area really is, is a awkward, uncomfortable um, area where there's not communication. So any gray area, as soon as we identified it, we figured out how to clarify it. And that was a really big step for us. So there wasn't this kind of, you know, like awkwardness ever in our business. So we're constantly, as you know, Aaron, we're constantly updating agreements. We're constantly issuing writers. I never want someone to be doing a job and be confused on exactly what is their role in the job, but also what is their pay structure in the job. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think though, if you can really clean that up, you can really start in a, in a very advantage point. I agree. And I think, Julie, you know, you and I did a lot of work around this. So I think you can attest to some mm-hmm. of this too. 
Um, Ryan, you've been privy to a lot of these conversations as well. Boundaries. I don't think boundaries is something that's taught to CEOs and entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. It, it seems like it's just this missing this missing piece of information. But for all of you CEOs that are listening, as you're growing your company, I, I can't stress enough, and I'd love to have Julia chime in on this a little bit too, putting in boundaries. And I don't mean like big boundaries, like, you know, you can't wear such and such to work or, you know, you can't steal from such and such thing. I mean, boundaries, like when people call you, I mean, how people communicate with you. So Julia, please speak to that a little bit. For us. This was, this is one of my biggest, biggest things. I mean, I always say this, this is what ultimately has saved me on so many different ways. And I think also too, like if we're being really honest here, I'm also a young woman CEO. So there, there's a lot of like layers in this. And I think it was really early on with clients, male clients, developers, you know, setting boundaries. And, you know, and I, I, I sometimes will make stuff a little bit of a joke, so it's not as awkward, but, you know, I, I will always say like, if you want to call me at five in the morning, I will pick up first rain, but don't call me after 7 PM because I will be having dinner with my family. And I think that, you know, someone can't cross a line if a line isn't ever drawn. And in, I think it's important that I think we always think like, okay, well, the client's always right, but the client can't be wrong if you don't tell them what those boundaries are. And same with employees. And Aaron, something that we worked really hard on, I, I want to be there always when, when my agents need me. And I take incredible pride on the fact if you text or email me, you will probably get a reply within five minutes. And that's mm-hmm. been a cornerstone of our business. But there has to be parameters to that. There has to be boundaries to that. So when we opened our Miami, or excuse me, our LA team, they're on a different time zone. So I would find myself, you know, at dinner time taking calls because in my mind I was thinking, well, wait, I still got to take this because yes, it's eight here, but it's five there, so it's still technically the business day. No, 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 no. I luckily, again, thanks to Aaron's help nip that very early on and said, guys, here's the time. And obviously an emergency, I will always be there. But just because there's only so many hours of the day, and I went at it in a very defensive way, thinking that everybody was going to be like, no, 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 no. We need you here and there. <laughs> and everybody was great about it. And every once in a while, someone will send me a text and they're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I mean, it's like this big winded wind up. And they're like, but I need this. And I'm like, great, easy, here you go. So people really want boundaries and they want to quite frankly, respect it. But again, if you don't, if you don't draw that line, of course, they're always going to cross it. Absolutely. It's really important to set those almost like the mutual expectations of working together. Um, And, you know, with us, and again, with my COO, who Aaron, of course, you know, you work very closely with Susie as well. That was the thing that was giving her anxiety is she felt like she was really getting into her flow state and then somebody needed her and somebody needed her and she needed to respond immediately. And again, one of the things that we take such great pride, but then when we were doing time audits, we realized that so much time was, was essentially getting blown of mismanagement of time, but ultimately mismanagement of boundaries. So we put, we put all of these things in place and every once in a while, you know, somebody will slip up and not doing this, but I am, I have been amazed at the amount of people, I don't want to say who followed the rules, but maybe have really respected those boundaries and took them really serious. Yeah. That's wonderful. So there's a book I want to kind of interject in here for everybody to read, and we'll put this in the show notes. Radical Candor by mm-hmm. Kim Scott. Radical Candor is, a, in a nutshell, just a really great book that I would suggest not only you as the CEO, but any executives you have, even your staff should read this, that really helps people understand how and the importance of having really blunt, very straight conversations and how it actually benefits people and benefits their effectiveness and benefits the organization as a whole. So I think it's a it's a really, really great read. It's a very, very impactful book. Um, and then also, Ryan, 
for everyone listening, I relate to Ryan as my chief linguistic chief linguistics officer. Ah, what a mouthful. Case in point why he comes to me for the Woo. Ryan is masterful and he spent a lot of time studying language and words that work and phrases. And he's helped me actually, he, he was integral in helping me sell my company. That's, that's, uh, that's going right now. And so Ryan, what advice do you give for CEOs and entrepreneurs that are listening about using language? Well, I mean, aside from reading words that work by Dr. Frank Luntz and getting intimately familiar with the 10 rules of effective communication, um, the, the easiest ones to, to remember are don't make people run for the dictionary. Uh, that's something that people like to do when they feel fancy or intelligent um, or want to show off that they know all these wonderful SAT words. It's actually not effective communication when trying to get your message across and knowing your audience is important. Sometimes it's required to do so, but I recommend that everybody think very carefully about the words that you repeat. And I find that there is rhetoric that we kind of fall back into as part of our natural cadence, our, our natural go-tos for being able to be expressive. Um, I have a sister who says like extremely frequently. Uh, to the point that it's 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 unmistakable. Like you can't help but start noticing it, and it's easy to not be objective because it's your own speech that's coming out at people. But as a leader, it's important to not only have a modulation to the things that you say, to know that when you raise your voice, it needs to be something that is infrequent so people actually listen. Otherwise, it's all yelling and people start to tune it out. Um, your email style has to be something that is succinct. If you wall of text everybody, you're just going to fatigue everybody and starting to ignore some of the finer points of what you're trying to get to. Aaron, you and I recently, when we were going through that acquisition negotiation that you mentioned, there were exchanges that we took entire paragraphs out of because all it was doing was making the ocean deeper to swim through. You know, We were trying to reach bottom with our tippy toes as soon as possible. Um, that's that's the kind of stuff that you can do to self audit record yourself speaking with your app on your phone, right? Notes app or anything else that you use to record and just maybe record yourself on the phone, not the other person, just yourself and play it back. Listen to how you speak. If you notice these patterns emerging, there's a chance that the things that you're saying that are meaningful may be getting canceled out by the fact that you don't sound as diverse with the way that you're expressing yourself as you could. That's the thing that I think a lot of people should start with. I love it. That's great. And I think Ryan, to kind of touch on that point, you know, one of the things for me, I really almost needed to see myself is almost kind of like this wiser self slash CEO. So I worked on a lot and quite frankly, I'm still working on a lot of like meditation and deep breathing and visualization of this person, you know, in real estate, a lot of times they talk about this whole, like, fake it till you make it. But I also think you need to have a very clear vision of what you want people to see you as. And I think that's really important for a young new CEO is to figure out like, okay, yes, you know, you want to, you want to break a billion, you want to break 2 billion, but how do you want people to see you? How do you want your interactions to impact their life? And I think through a lot of visualization exercises is really important in that realm. Yeah, that speaks to reputation and short-term legacy, right? Because we all have two legacies. We have the legacy that's here and now when people talk about us when we're not in the room, right? And the way that the people that work with us or that potentially are our customers um, look forward to or not look forward to working with us, right? Like I, I made a reputation for myself in the tech industry as being a tech guru. People looked forward to showing up as opposed to, oh my God, the tech guy is here, which <laughs> is very common, right? So I think that's, that's absolutely fascinating to me because even you know, we all have this picture of, of ourselves and who we are. That's one of the reasons I like that crystal nose software I'm always going on about is because we have a way that we see ourselves and there's a way that we actually behave that the data shows very clearly we actually conduct ourselves, right? So that, that keys in for me. And, um, I, I thank you for saying it that way. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a lot of, you know, we all have a lot of internal work to do, but I think the problem is sometimes when you get again to the top, it feels actually harder to grow. 
because all of these milestones to get from, okay, I was doing rentals. Now I'm doing sales. Now I'm working on penthouses. Like they're very easy to flow through this like journey to get to the top. But then when you get there, it's not like all of a sudden we know everything. There's so much more to learn, but it, it seems to actually be harder to, you know, kind of, cause again, I can't go to someone and say, Hey, I'm really looking to break into sales and I'm doing great numbers and rentals. How do I get there? Um, you're, it's just assumed that you know everything. And I think that's something that everybody really struggles with, but again, struggles alone. Yeah. And I think that comes out, especially when you're training somebody else on how to avoid a mistake that you might've made earlier in your career. And we, we, we all don't look forward to the day when we say like back in my day or when I was, you know, in your position or whatever, but when it happens and you think, oh my goodness, I was you once, you know, um, and how much you've grown since feeling intimidated by something that you take very casually these days, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, that, that kind of goes into, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into being a good CEO, right? We've broken down some really good topics. We've talked about key systems. We've talked about the hardest things about being a CEO, but going in, be, being a good CEO, what can CEOs do to develop their knowledge and skills, you know, keying in on what you just mentioned? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I mean, that, that's really where I am right now is, you know, I think that, you know, I was, I was very fortunate to have support some really strong skill sets that was able to really come in with this amazing business that obviously John and Fred, you know, are known throughout the industry for, but to really kind of tackle, you know, maybe some of their, their weaknesses. And I think we're a really great compliment, but I think again, kind of touching on, you know, what I kind of call it like the loaded bench and, you know, it's, one of the things the real deal kind of has dubbed me as the mastermind, but I always joke what's really the most important is the masterminds behind the mastermind. So I want to, again, really, really stress the importance of having the best people in your court, because again, you know, and I think this is the most important thing is it, it it's lonely at the top. There's, it is. I, I mean, that never made sense to me and it makes all the sense in the world. So if you don't have that support system, and if you're also, when you're thinking about hiring people, I think it's really important because again, your entire life is about this business, whether, you know, as Aaron said, like whether you're going to dinner, whether you're sleeping, you are always thinking about the health and safety of this business. So when you're looking for employees, you have to have loyal and like-minded people. And I always say one of the most important things to us when we're hiring is the thought of, you know, I'm on a lot of planes and I'm constantly living out of a suitcase. I mean, again, obviously I'm not traveling as much now, but I never want to go into one of our offices and not be happy and quite frankly, thrilled at whoever is the random person that I see first. Right. And, you know, when we're hiring, we really think about that because, you know, we, we often call ourselves a family. And when you're working at this intensity and you're working at this level and at this much time, it is important that these people feel like an extension of your family, because quite frankly, a lot of times you're spending more time with them than your family is obviously the three of us know. That's um, true. You know, yeah, the, the difference between somebody choosing to make the sacrifice of additional time to get something done and blowing it off. That's the thin red line. And also, too, when you're you're always going to be the ultimate end all be all. And that's sometimes good. But a lot of times it's bad because if someone, you know, three employees down from me on the chain of command makes a mistake, it's ultimately I have to answer to that. That's right. And I think that you have to to really trust the people. And I'm very, very against micromanaging. You know, they've got to run with a, a rope and obviously if they ultimately hang themselves, <laughs> that's what happens. But it's critical that you go into a relationship in a place of trust and obviously guide them and give them the tools to be incredibly successful. Um, you know, but I think that's really, it was really hard for me, even with our COO, who I've worked with the longest out of anyone to really start 
delegating and giving those tasks away. But you can't take on more at the top if you're constantly involved in every facet of it. So the people to me are the absolute most important piece of the business. Yeah, I agree. And I kind of want to speak to your point here just about it's lonely at the top that you mentioned earlier. I think it, I think people need to understand, CEOs need to understand that when you are organizing your team, one of the, the benefits of having these people around you that are your trust advisors is it removes that loneliness. These are people that get you. They have been there. They have done that. They have made the hard decisions. They have, have rolled the dice. They, they've had wins. They've had losses. They get you. There's something uh, peaceful and uh, about really feeling hurt, really feeling gotten that, you know, your, your advisors are going to know more about you than most people in the world. You know, my, I've had a business coach since I was 21 years old. I'm 42. So every single Monday for two decades, I've had either one person or a team of people that I divulge everything to and put it all on the table mentally, emotionally, physically. And to have these people that are there for you, that will never let you quit, they'll never give up on you, that'll always give it to you straight and honest, that is the most empowering feeling that one can have as a CEO. So I, I really, really champion you know, the, the team. I'd say another bullet point that I think all of us can consider is having some entrepreneur groups. Um, I don't think there's a lot of them out there that I would personally vote for. There's a few. Vistage is a good one. EO, so entrepreneur organization. Um, there, you know, I'm in one called Gen Next. There's a handful of really, really top-notch entrepreneur or CEO groups. I would strongly, strongly suggest if you're a, you whether you're a seasoned CEO all the way down to a new, get in one. The peer groups. The idea sharing, the emotional support, it is so profound. And I think it, it adds a dimension to your leadership ability and your development as a CEO. It'll really help take you to that next level. And then, of course, I think the most important and what has really been a game changer for myself personally, and of course, our team, is hiring a business coach. And, you know, I think when you're looking for a great coach, um, obviously, Aaron Keith is a phenomenal coach. But I think what was really, to me, I was so drawn to you is I felt like you were one of the first people and maybe one of the few people in my life at this point who, when you tell me no, I don't get defensive about it. Because again, when you're at the top, you, you get to make these decisions and you, you're used to everybody saying yes, yes, yes. And it's critical to have people that can say no to you that you really pay attention and you really trust that advice. But I think with you, it was just, we can have these very honest conversations. And again, you can say no, and I don't get defensive. And I don't try to sell my way out of it because I am, you know, is like, there is a reason that I'm the leader of the greatest salespeople on the earth. Like I'm a pretty damn good salesperson when it comes down to it. So I find in a lot of situations, I can sell it and spin it the way that I want. <laughs> yep. That doesn't benefit me. You know, I need to have people like you and, you know, like, a, you know, a handful of, you know, people I work with that can say, no, stop it. Or right. that's, that's really going to take you in a path that you don't want to go, but let's talk about it. And Absolutely. Having that to me is what I think has really given me the confidence to lead the team in any and every scenario. So if there is someone out there that's thinking, well, I've made it this far, what can someone help with? Your mind will be blown at like the other thing. You quite frankly, I mean, cause you remind me, you know, at a probably weekly um, that you also still need to be thinking about. Yeah. And, you know, first, thank you for the kind words. And, and second, you know, education, education, right? There's, there's so many things. Like when I get on with my coach, though, it's been two decades, there's always something new. There's always another layer. And to have someone who can see my blind spots, mm -hmm. it's, it's, 
Yeah, it's it's so wonderful. And uh, you know, Julie and I, we we have a lot of text messages back and forth about this. Is we kind of have a, a running joke about this book. Julie and I have a have a have a have a love affair with the book "The Hard Things About Hard Things" by Ben Horowitz. This book is awesome. I mean, <laughs> I can't say enough. You know, for those of you who do not have a coach or a mentor, your books can act as a stepping stone. It is an entry-level place of getting information. It's not intermediate, it's not advanced, but books are a great way of starting to get that kind of virtual mentorship and that, that kind of input of information. Julia, speak about the book because I know you love it as well. I mean, you had me read it, gosh, was that a couple of years ago? And it's so funny because right around the shutdown or the lockdown, I picked it back up because it just smacked me in the sense of, wait a second, we're going into war and I have to shift into a wartime CEO. And the stories are just, they're so amazing. I actually think some of the quotes, I've said them to myself, I've written them so many times. I actually think they're my own at this point because they're they're so obvious. <laughs> they're just, they're so impactful. And I think, again, as a new CEO, as a CEO of decades, there's so much that just really speaks to you. And I think sometimes it is feeling that you're not alone. And maybe this person's working on a software company that I don't understand anything, but I understand the struggles they're going through. And that's the important part is, you know, I always say, I remember when we broke 2 billion and I remember we broke it. It was like the end of December and we crossed it by $4. And I am like the most unemotional person on the planet. It's, you know, a pro and a con. I like to say of myself, <laughs> I shed a tear in our Miami office because for us, you know, when you look at these ads and you look at, you know, all of our beautiful marketing, like it just sounds so great, like 2 billion, but, Every deal that we did, the blood, sweat, and tears, and the deals that didn't happen, and you know, just the whole storyboard of like the journey to two billion. I mean, quite frankly, like I probably should write a book on one day, but yeah. it, it's a real like emotional process because one of the things that my mentor said early on to me, and it really took me aback and almost kind of hurt my feelings because I was like, okay. And now I'm going to do this and we're going to have this goal. And we're going to break this. I'm going to set up this. And he said, whoa, 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 whoa. You've got to focus and figure out how to stabilize this business. Then you can think about growing it. And I was just like, whoa, whoa, whoa but we're growing it. Like, I, like I've moved on. But then when I really reflected on it, it was so true. If I don't build the foundation and make the foundation stable, I can't continue to build and create all of these amazing successes. And I think sometimes like you get so excited and then you get deflated. Um, but then it's really, it's, you know, and Ryan, you talked about this, like it's all about building. And quite frankly, a lot of times it's about building without the instruction manual. But, you know, that's constantly what we're doing is we're adding layers. We're building on this amazing foundation that we've, you know, set through years and years and years of experience and hard work. But one of the things about the hard things about the hard things is it just touches on so many things that especially during this lockdown and all the many challenges, I think every high level executive should read this book because it it really is a guidebook of just kind of like the basic examples of things that we're all struggling with and how we ultimately just have to deal with them. Oh my gosh. So true. So true. Yeah. And that stress builds strength, you know, like working in the gym and then you're sore after and you're stronger the next day or a pearl that starts from a grain of sand. You know, it uh, takes that time to build it into something beautiful. One of my favorite things, and I, I pulled, you know, it's funny because Aaron and I were talking about this book and I was like, oh my gosh, I have like 52 quotes from it that are my favorite. But I think you know, as I was like reflecting on doing this talk, one of the things that I pulled out was a piece from it and says, what's the secret to being a successful CEO? Sadly, there's no secret, but there, 
but there is one skill that stands out. It's ability to focus and make the best move when there are no good moves. Mm. That is powerful and too real for me. I literally speak anyone listening to this. I mean, it, it's, it kind of freaks me out. All right. So we'll expect our royalties check from Mr. Horowitz as yeah. soon as uh, this episode goes up. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I thank you for making this conversation an easy thing about hard things because you were so wonderful to talk to. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, it was super fun. I mean, obviously, you know, as Aaron and I joke, this is something we talk about a lot. But I think it's, again, it's important to have those people you can have these conversations with because you will suffer in silence. It's very lonely at the top. Um, but quite frankly, you can have a lot of fun. You can do amazing, amazing, epic things if you have the right people in place with you. Absolutely. So, Julia, before we let you go, because this conversation has been such a it's 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 been turned into such a beautiful pearl after all the stress of the uh, of the layers we've talked about put on it. Um, is there anything going on that you would like to promote or share with our audience that you would like to bring attention to um, or create awareness of? Oh, gosh, that's a hard one. I mean, clearly, if anybody's looking to buy in or sell in New York, Brooklyn, LA or Miami, um, I know a few good agents I could easily reference you to. <laughs> I'm sure you do. And those those sparsely populated areas will fill up no time soon, I promise. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Julia has a very interesting thing coming out. So to stay tuned, she's uh, has some tech stuff up her sleeve that she's playing with. So I'd say keep an eye on her social media and uh, follow her if you can, as she has some very fun stuff that's going to be a game changer for this industry. And Julia, where can we find you on social? What's your handle? It is Julia Spillman Gover. Okay. And we'll put it all in the show notes as well. Exactly. Perfect. Along with Mr. Horowitz's uh, pictorial of, of all the things that are great about him. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Julia. And we want to thank you, our audience, for joining us here on the Buildify Method for the first in our Titans of Industry series. Please make sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple iTunes and leave us a review. It helps other like-minded entrepreneurs such as yourself find us and benefit from the experiences our guests share, the information we have for all of you, and the tools we share each week. Please make sure to check today's show notes for some special goodies, and we look forward to talking to you again very soon. 